Good morning. Welcome to you all. Exciting to have you here with us this morning. Um, as we turn to the Word, uh, for our four- to six-year-olds, you are welcome to be dismissed out to the back lobby for our kids' lesson, if you would like to go there. For the rest of us, we are going to be in the book of Judges, um, where we've been for a while. If you have a Bible or an app or whatever you'd like to turn there with us, we're going to be in Judges chapters 14 and 15 uh, this morning. Uh, last week, we heard a birth narrative, the birth narrative of Samson, a, a birth narrative that as we hear it in our ears probably leaves us somewhat hopeful, right? We, we think of the similarities of the birth narrative even to Jesus and his birth narrative or, or John the Baptist, and so we, you're kind of left with great expectations as, we, um, as Samson comes into the world. But as we are going to see this morning, any hopes that we may have are going to be completely dashed for us this morning, um, that there's a hopeful judge that's finally come. In fact, what we're going to see is we've been seeing, as we see the judges, we're continuing to circle the toilet, if you will. They're continuing to just get worse and worse and worse, and now we are with Samson. So what I'm going to do is we're going to move through um, the whole passage. I'm going to be reading portions of it as we go um, this morning, and then um, some comments at the end. Um, let me pray for us uh, before we uh, dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful that we have you as we gather this morning. We need you, and uh, we, we need you at work uh, today, applying your word to our hearts. Would you uh, do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember uh, growing up, and, and Christine's going to throw a picture up here, I had a, had a record, you know, you remember the vinyl days? Um, we had this record set, it was two vinyl records um, that read you the Bible, right? And as I think about um, that, that, I remember listening to it as a kid, the only story that I really remember is Samson. You can page forward just a little bit. I, I remember Samson, I, I remember, I vividly remember these pictures, I, I remember the story and... Maybe for you this morning as we approach Samson, we have preconceptions of Samson. Um, Samson seems like this superhero of the Old Testament in some ways, right? And, and we get really excited uh, about him. And then as we're going to be, hopefully this morning, we're going to be struck with the reality of who Samson really is. Um, we were reading at the dinner table this past week, and one of my kids says, you know, he's kind of like the Hulk, you know. He, you know, don't make me angry. That's kind of who Samson is, as we're going to see. Another said he's kind of like Rambo. You know, it's just like complete rampage. Um, as Samson goes along, it gets really bad. It gets really bloody. And another one of my kids, I won't use her exact language, but she said, I really don't like him because he's not so kind to animals, as we're going to see. Um, but Samson is not the superhero that we may have in our mind. Let's begin to look. Verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and he, he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, among all of our peoples, that you must go and take the wife of that uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. You know, here we're just getting into this. This is where we're just kind of really being introduced to who Samson is. Already his true colors are showing very boldly right, right in front of us, Right? First of all, he he's, must be hanging out with the enemies. The Philistines would have been his enemies. Here is Samson. He's the judge, right? What is he called to do? He's called to relieve them of the oppression of the Philistines. 
And evidently he's off hanging out with them. Hanging out with them so much that he finds one of them that he wants to be his wife. And he's the one who is supposed to be bringing judgment to the Philistines. He's the one who's supposed to be freeing the Israelites from uh, Philistine oppression. And even as we begin to hear the words flow from his mouth, what do we also see? That he's, Samson's like totally self-absorbed. It's about him. It's about what's right in his eyes. It's about what he wants. It's like, you know, whatever I want, I want. You better give it to me. That's the way he talks to his parents. And in some ways, we can already even see, and we're going to talk about this more later, but he, he like perfectly personifies Israel. Okay, he's, he is in picture form who Israel already is. Okay, re- remember, what, what's that kind of great theme of the book of Judges? But everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what do we have Samson saying here? Get her, for she is right in my eyes. Get her, for she is right in my eyes. Do you you see what's going on here? Samson is like perfectly... He's perfectly personifying who Israel is and who they've become. They've become this, this nation that is really just going about doing what's right in their own eyes. And here is Samson. He's the perfect example of that. Now amidst that, you know, here, here we're starting off already not, not good at all with this story. And it's here at verse 4 that the author actually kind of inserts a really important comment that helps us to understand everything that's going on um, in these chapters about Samson. He says this, His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Let's make sure we're very clear here. Who is it that's seeking an opportunity? Okay, it's the Lord. The Lord is is, is seeking an opportunity. This is a very important comment that's so important to the way that we understand this story. Because you see, everybody in the story, you you think of, of Samson, you think of the rest of the Israelites, you think of the Philistines. What are they all doing? They're all working from their earthly intentions. They're all after what is right in their own eyes. And that's what they're going about doing. But then at the same time, what we're learning here is that as this story's playing out, everybody's off. They're doing the thing that they want to do. They're after their own, running after their own passions. And what we hear is that Yahweh, great God, is at work amidst it. That even amidst them doing that, he is coming in He is coming in to relieve the suffering of his people, even though, as we heard last week, they didn't even ask for it. They didn't even cry out, yet God is coming in to rescue his people, even so, and he's going to use a very crooked stick called Samson. He's going to use Samson despite himself, you know, because Samson's a judge, yes, but what we see over and over in these passages is that his intentions, Samson's intentions, they rarely, if ever, line up with God's intentions, okay? Samson's doing it out of what's right in his own eyes, but God is using that, and he's, he's molding that for his purposes and ultimately for his glory. I hope this brings maybe just a moment of hope to us this morning even. A hope amidst, that, amidst as, as the world, as, as things, as events, they play out around us, that God is sovereign, that he's really at work. Sometimes we can be very poor exegetes of God's providence. What do I mean? As we look at the way things play out around us, 
And we try to read into them. We try to squint and we try to see what is God doing here and we don't understand it and we can't comprehend it. And you know what? We won't be able to because we don't have God's eyes. Okay? So often, though, we, we just... We, 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 we need to remember. We need to remember the truths we, we already know. And see, we know many of these things. We remember what Joseph said to his brothers, right? For what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We know that truth. We know Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. We know these things are true, but let's be honest, it's hard to live like they are, isn't it? Because we are trying to read read what's going on, and we, we're, we're very poor at that. But God is at work. Even amidst the treachery that we, we, we see in chapters 14 and 15, as we're going to see this morning, God is at work. He's sovereignly working out his plan. Here's where maybe it's helpful. I want to share what one commentator says. He, he says what we see here, there, there, the, the sin or the smell of disappointment seems to dominate the scene as we're going here through Judges, right? It seems to cover over our whole map, and this is the way it works out in our life too, right? It, it, it seems like all this stuff that's going on, it covers over the map. We, we can't see clearly, but perhaps that is only the cover for Yahweh's secret work. Perhaps our greatest comfort is hidden in what we don't yet know or can't see. Perhaps, just perhaps, it's from Yahweh, who has his own saving design to work either through or in spite of the muck and the yuck of our lives. Many Christian parents have stood in that place, uh, the sandals of Manoah and his wife. They have, though realizing their own sinful inadequacies, tried to faithfully raise their, their children only to see them even turn away from the Lord. No one can die it, deny it. Things like that, they're devastating. Yet no one should forget verse 4 that we just read a moment ago. But his father and his mother did not realize it was from Yahweh. What we don't know may yet prove to be our deepest comfort. Do you hear that? Do you know that? What we don't yet know may be our deepest comfort. So God is at work in this story even as we see it treacherously play out. So let's continue in the story. So it seems like his parents, Samson's parents have agreed. Okay, let's go do a meet and greet with this family and let's arrange the details of this marriage. On the way down, Samson finds himself alone and suddenly a lion attacks. Verse 5, behold, a young lion came toward him roaring and then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I'm not sure how one tears a young goat, but anyway, it must have been, e it's easy, I, I don't know, but that, that's the point is like it, it's nothing for him to tear up this lion and he doesn't go and he doesn't tell his father and mother what happened. Um, this seems strange, doesn't it? Um, this moment should be a sign from God. It is a sign from God to Samson. It's a sign from God that says, Samson, I'm with you. You can do great things with me. You are going to be able to defeat the Philistines with me. With me, you have great power. And yet, as we read the story, Samson seems to be completely oblivious to it. Doesn't even recognize it. Doesn't even seem to acknowledge that the Spirit is at work with him. So the arrangements are made for, for, for this wedding, on, and I guess on his way back down, as things are getting closer, he, he's heading back down for the wedding in verse 9. He, he, he passes back by that lion that he had torn up. 
Inside it, a, a beehive has evidently grown, and there's honey in there. And he, he scraped it out into his hands, and he went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother, and he gave some to them, and they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. Do you see what's going on here? Sam, this, more of Samson's true colors are showing. He's a Nazarite, right? As a Nazarite, he's not supposed to touch anything dead. Okay, that is to defile himself as a Nazarite. He's not to do that. Not to mention, even just for your normal Israelite, this would make one unclean. But he doesn't care. He's Samson. Life is about Samson. So he reaches in and grabs some honey. And you know what's even worse is he takes some home to his parents. He doesn't care about the fact that he's going to make them unclean. He doesn't even have a second thought about it, and he offers it over. Samson has no care for anyone else. Samson is for Samson. Gets worse, verse 10. His father went down to the woman, and and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. Now, he prepares a feast. This doesn't sound that bad. It's a wedding, right? This word here, though, is very specific, okay? This is a drunken feast, is the way this word is used. This is a keg party, if you will, except with wine. That's what he's throwing, a multi-day one, where everybody's going to get drunk, and of course there's a problem. Not only is Samson not supposed to touch dead things, but he's also not to drink from the vine. And what is he doing? <laughs> he's now drinking from the vine. He has no care for that Nazarite vow that's, that's been made. He, he seems, again, care only for who? For Samson. Now, in the midst of this feast, he's, he's given these 30 companions that we see, right? He's given these 30 companions. We, we might should think of them as 30 bodyguards. Um, bodyguards in order to protect the Philistines from Samson, most likely. Um, they're, they're probably somewhat frightened of him. It's a custom that you have this many groomsmen, I suppose. Um, but they pick some soldiers <laughs> to guard him. They, they're, 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 not, they're scared of, of Samson. In the midst of this party... He tells that riddle that's, that's so famous, verse 12. Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what is right within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Basically, I'll give you 30 pair of underwear and 30 suits. Think of it like that. That's about what he's committing to, okay? But if you cannot, tell me what it is, and then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. So you're going to have to do it the same. And, and so he put out the riddle to them. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And after multiple days, they, they, they can't solve the riddle, and they're getting upset. They don't want to be on the line for all of this. This is going to be very costly to them. They can't solve it. So what do the 30 companions do? They go to his wife, and they say, you get it, or we're going to burn you and your, your father's house. So we get to verse 16. We see Samson's woman problems just erupting right before him. Samson's wife wept over him. You can just hear this being said. You only hate me. You don't love me. (laughs) You know, this is just part of, we're so used to this type language, unfortunately. You've put a riddle to my people, and you have not even told me what it is. She's trying to just convince him. Come on, Samson. You don't love me. If you really loved me, you'd tell me. And he says, I haven't even told my mom and dad. And she continues this for multiple days. And finally, what does Samson do? He gives in. We're going to see this, this whole woman thing. We're going to see more about that next week. But this is a continual problem for him. You'd think he would learn his lesson, but he doesn't. The 30 companions, they come to him. They've solved the riddle. 
Verse 18, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson is enraged. He is enraged. There's only one possible source, and that's his wife. And so what does he say? If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And yes, that's as bad as it sounds. Okay? Yes. There's no more that really needs to be said. He insults his wife in a great way, and then what does he do? Verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord rushed back upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, he struck down 30 men of the town, he took their spoil, and he gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father and mother's house. Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. In rage, he kills 30 Philistines for the equivalent, as I said before, of underwear and suits to give to the men to make good on his bargain. Now, it's kind of strange here. He's given spirit. It sounds strange, right, that the spirit empowers him to do this. Samson was given Holy Spirit here to kill these 30, understand. And he, Samson's doing it out of rage. God's trying to teach him, Samson, this is actually what you're for. You are to defeat the Philistines. This is, this is actually your role. Your, your role is to kick out the Philistines and to free the Israelites from their oppression. Samson's just working out of rage. God's working out his plan. Do you see? What does Samson do? He's all mad, so he runs home to his mommy and daddy. In the absence, the father-in-law gives his wife off to somebody else. Now, a couple of days, well, probably even maybe even a couple of months later, Samson's ready to go back down. I guess he's cooled down a bit. He goes back down to, to see his wife. He brings a goat for her as a present. I'm sure she's excited about that. Maybe it was more exciting back then, but he brings a goat for her. He shows up at the door, verse 2, and her father says, I really thought that you utterly hated her. Would make sense given the circumstances, right? So I gave her to your companion. And then he says this most incredible thing. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. That The guy is probably, you know, at the same time he's already done this, he's probably like sitting there shaking, you know. His knees are just clinking together as he's like terrified of Samson. He's like, take my other daughter. And Samson is not happy with this at all, is he? <laughs> and so he does another one of those things, the thing that made my daughter a bit upset. Took 300 foxes or, or jackals. He ties their tails together, puts torches in the middle of the tails, and then puts them out into the field. Now, now how exactly that worked? Now, this must have been pretty time-consuming. Even for Samson, it takes a while to catch 300 foxes, right? And he ties their, their tails together. He puts these torches and then sends them off running into the field. Why? Think of it like burning down the Philistines' banks. That's what he's doing. He, he's, he's burning up and, and, and getting rid of their, both their sustenance and their wealth at the same time, okay? He's, he's hitting their pantries and their pocketbooks at the same exact time. And the Philistines, they're, they're not very happy about this. So what do they do? They go murder his, his wife and her father. And Samson, being Samson, what does he have to do? Now he's angry that his wife is dead. So we get to verse 7. Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I'll quit. He's basically saying, I'm going to rampage on you, and this time when I'm done, we're going to be done, like I'm going to defeat you. At least that's what Samson thinks at the moment. So he strikes them hip and thigh with a great blow. That means it's, 
it's like an idiom for like total victory, okay? That's what, Sam, at least that's what, and that's certainly what Samson thinks he's getting here is total victory, and then he goes and hides away or whatever because it's done. But of course, it's not done, is it? <laughs> what, what Samson thought would be over is not. The Philistines, they go up to Judah, and, and, and they say, give us over Samson, basically. And so what do the Judites do? They, they, they go down to where Samson is. They, they find Samson, and they say, Samson, we're going to have to turn you over to the Philistines. We're going to have to tie you up and give you over to them. And hear what they say, verse 11, what they, hear, what they say to Samson. Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? Do you understand how sad that moment is? Do you see what the Israelites are doing? We learned last week, you know, they don't cry out. The Philistines are oppressing them, and they're like, it's okay. They don't realize how bad things are. They, they've, they've come to just, like, it's okay. It's, it's kind of like I was introduced on Friday night, um, one of my sons, to that great 80s movie, Back to the Future. And you might remember the one character, George McFly, Marty's dad. And at least at the beginning of the movie, he, Biff, the bully, can do just anything to George. And it doesn't matter what, George is just going to take it and meekly take it. He's never going to fight back. He has no fight in him. George McFly, that, that, that's Israel. They have no fight in them. They, they just keep taking it. They're okay to live under the oppression of an enemy. And they, they, they act. And the words come out like, oh, no, everything's fine. This is just the way things are supposed to be. It's a very sad day. We'll come back to that. Samson does allow the Israelites to bind him up. So they bind him up, hand him over um, to the Philistines. And then we read in verse 14 what happens. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. His bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put it on his hand and took it, and with it struck 1,000 men. We won't get into the details of what this looked like, but this is definitely a Rambo moment. The blood must have been, I mean, the carnage must have been terrible. Appropriately, the place is named Jawbone Hill. Okay, Samson just takes him out, viciously, brutally. And then you have a moment that's completely unexpected. Samson up to now, this guy that's totally for himself. It's totally about him. He's just this vicious character, it seems, just brutal. Verse 18, strange moment. And he, Samson, was very thirsty. He called upon the Lord and said, You've granted this, me this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? What is this, this, this Hulk, Rambo-type figure? He, he prays? It seems so out of character. This seems to come out of nowhere, or what are we to make of it? Is Samson sincere? Or is this more of Samson's self-centeredness? showing through. Which is it? I think the answer is probably yes. It's, it's both. Because there is some positivity here. He does acknowledge who, who the true deliverer is. He for the first time acknowledges, in a sense, where his strength has come from. 
but it's not all positive. One commentator puts it this way, his prayer is as narcissistic as his manner of life. Far from displaying any concern about the fate of his people or the work that is yet to be done, let alone for the glory of God, his intention in this prayer is purely personal. To avert his own death and to avoid the capture by the Philistines. You notice how selfish his prayer is. You know, suddenly these people that he was out partying with, the the people that that he was actually going to marry one of theirs, now he's saying, oh no, don't let them get me. You see how selfish he is, self-centered he is, narcissistic he is. But then we read verse 19, and God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it, and he drank. His spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. This is an incredible picture. We, we've talked about, or I mentioned how uh, Samson is like a picture of Israel and who they are and how they've been acting. Samson's acting just like Israel's been acting. And yet we see God here treat Samson, just as he's been treating Israel, where he continues to be gracious to them. He's so gracious to Samson in this moment, even if his prayer wasn't perfect and needed much perfection. He's so gracious to Samson. And for a moment, just a moment, we might think that the story ends well with God's provision, right? But it doesn't end there. Look back at verse 20, do you, do, do you see what Samson names the place in Hakor? You might have a little footnote in your Bible. It basically means the spring of him who called. Do you catch that? Do you, do you catch what, the, the spring of the one who prayed? That's what he names the place. Not the spring of the one who gave the water. Again, who's it all about? You know, here at the end of our passage, it's all about Samson. Everything is all about him. Now, some important things that I think we need to maybe take from this text as we kind of come to a bit of a conclusion this morning. First, I think, is this danger of finding comfort with the enemy. Okay? Samson was comfortable with the Philistines. So comfortable that he was willing to party with them, willing to take a wife of them. The Israelites are are so comfortable with them that they're like George McFly. Okay, just so comfortable, just taking it, not even realizing that there could be something better. But they should have all known that there was something better, right? Samson would have known, Deuteronomy 7.3, that you shall not intermarry with them or give them their daughters to their sons or taking their daughters to your sons. You should know that. And this isn't a racial thing. This is a concern from Moses of that that believers marry believers. Samson knew that. The Israelites certainly knew the promises of God. They they knew that the oppression of the Philistines was not what God had intended for them, yet they became comfortable with it. They, They were kind of like, the Israelites at points in Egypt, right? They just were acting like it was more comfortable just being in slavery. That's the Israelites. They, they've kind of completely gone full cycle back to where they started from. This is the path that, the, that Samson and the Israelites are on. It's so sad. 
Samson here is just picturing Israel for us, picturing how bad things have have gotten as we move through the book of Judges. Now, what what do you and I learn from this? We, We certainly learn that we must be careful, I think, about how comfortable we become with the world. We can become so comfortable, can't we? That's what the Israelites are doing. That's what Samson's doing. They're becoming so comfortable with the world, and and we need to be reminded that we are in the world, but not of the world. That our citizenship is where? It's in heaven? That, That we are called to something else, as Paul says in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing what is good, what is the will of God, what what is good and acceptable and perfect, that's what we are called to. And that includes things like marriage. You know, Paul talks about don't be yoked together unequally with unbelievers, Paul tells us. And so that applies to, you know, no, this missionary dating thing, that's not a good idea. These kind of things, they they don't turn out well. Judges is the perfect picture to us of what happens when we just become too lax with the world. When, when we just begin to become sponges. Do you know what I mean? When we become sponges and we just soak it all in. But we don't do as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. I confess, I mean, I struggle with this often. Do you take every thought captive to Christ? Or do you so often sit like a sponge, absorbing whatever it is, whether it's the news, whether it's music, whether it's Netflix, we absorb without taking those thoughts captive to Christ? What does Scripture say about those things? We, we, and the danger is the danger that we see here in Judges of beginning to look more and more like the world around us. Yet, even while Israel is living like this, even while Israel is looking more and more like the world and less and less like a called out people, as we talked about, despite that, God is at work. Okay? They, they have these earthly intentions of, of doing what is good in their own eyes, but what is God doing while they're doing that? He's sovereignly at work. And He is at work to relieve the suffering of his people. And that's what he's doing. And, and that's what he's choosing to do. Now, it, it may be hard. You look at this, this story and you kind of got to squint at times to, to, to see it. But God is, is slowly redeeming his people from the Philistines through Samson, despite Samson. You see, our sins, Samson's sins, and the fact that all of these things that he did today, he didn't seem to do them in a righteous way. He didn't take on righteous battles. He was doing them out of anger, out of malice. Yet God uses even those things to further his plan. The things that we can't even understand and don't even make sense to us. You see, Samson, he's not Rambo. He's not the Hulk. He's not any sort of superhero at all. Samson is not even the hero of our story this morning. If you think that for a moment, and I think that's so often how we think of Samson, he's like the, as I said earlier, he's like the superhero in the Old Testament, and he's not. The hero in his story is the one who provides the Spirit. 
The hero in the story is the one who provides the water out of the spring that pops up. The hero of the story is the one that we read back in, in chapter 14 of verse 4. The one who is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. That's the hero of the story. So how incredible it is that even when we, the Israelites, when we are stuck in this mode of, of, of being sponges to the world, of, of not taking thoughts captive to Christ, that, that, that even then, what does God do? He is still at work. Still at work despite us. Even when we're off living our lives, our own way, doing what's right in our own eyes, He's at work. He's at work even when we try to make ourselves the hero of the story. He's at work. We've named this series The Kingless Kingdom. Okay? And that's what's going on throughout the book of Judges is these people, they're, they're living as though they have no king, no one to answer to. They can do whatever they want. But of course they don't understand that there's a king there all the time. Okay. Samson, is, as I was thinking through this passage this week and kind of meditating on it, I, I couldn't help but think of the Muppets. Um, there's, there's a moment where the, the Muppet movie, where, where the lead um, female character and, and Miss Piggy um, they both sing a song. Some of the lyrics go like this. I'm having a me party. A party by myself. A me party. I don't need nobody else. I'm having a me party. That is the story of Samson. It's one big me party. As you read through it, it's all about him. It's all about him getting his carnal desires, getting whatever he wants. And when he doesn't get what he wants, he gets angry and he lashes out. Remember, that's that big me party. That's the story of the Israelites too, right? Samson's just kind of a picture of it for us. That's that doing what's right in your own eyes. It's living a big me party. And you and I, I think if we're honest too, we so often live that way, don't we? Our lives are big me parties. It's all about us. We do what's right in our own, own eyes. But we have a choice. We have an important choice to make. Important choice that I, I think the author judges trying to get the Israelites to think through. You, you have a choice. You, you're living this kingless kingdom, but no, you have a king. What are you going to do about it? Spurgeon, in his um, very last sermon he, he preached, at the very end of it, he says this. He says, those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, the clothing of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most managamous, I can't even say it this morning, sorry, of captains. There never was his like among the choicest of princes. 
He's always to be found in the thickest part of battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish and superabundant in love, you will always find it in him. There are only two masters. Samson chose the master of self, is what we see him choosing in this passage. It's destructive to him and everyone around him. There's just bloodshed. But there's another master that we can choose. There's another master who Satan, uh, that, that Samson could have, have chosen. He could have chosen his great God and his great king. You know, and the incredible thing is, is we are stuck kind of in between these choices. Are, are we going to cho- choose Jesus? The one who gave everything for us, who, who, who died for us to give us new life? Or are we going to choose ourselves and our big me party? As we wrestle with that, that's a constant wrestle, isn't it? As we wrestle with that, don't, don't forget what the author of Judges is saying. He was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. God is still sovereignly at work. That the, the Savior is, has done His work of re- redeeming. Even when, when we're struggling between these choices, God is at work. The question we need to wrestle with this morning is are we going to continue to serve self or our Savior? The Israelites have this gracious God, don't they? Our God, too. This God who kept pursuing them. Even when they didn't cry out, He pursues them. For us this morning, we need to be reminded that even when it's hard to see, the rescue for us, the rescue for us is still there. So much bigger than we could ever imagine, and it is true. God, but God, shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those are incredible words. Even amidst their sin, God was going about rescuing the Israelites from the Philistines. Even amidst the, the, the treachery of their judge, Samson, God was going about rescuing the Israelites. No, it's true too for you and I. Okay, the, the story of Samson is not the story of a heroic judge. It is not. It's the story of a heroic God. Story of a, a God that continues to rescue his people even when they don't really realize that they need it. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know this morning as we're gathered here, do you know the rescue that you need? Do you know how bad the sin is in your life? Do you recognize that me party that goes on in your soul? And do you see your desperate need this morning for Christ? The only one who can save. The only one who can redeem. The real hero of the story. Do you believe it? Do you know the truth of the gospel this morning? 
Do you know what God has done for you? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we wish that life were easy and we could understand everything. We, we wish that we um, could read history, read the circumstances around us and know exactly how you're at work. But we thank you for the promises of Scripture that tell us that you are at work, that your sovereign plan is, is at work, And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are at work amongst us today and that we can have great hope and confidence in your sovereign plan. And Father, we thank you that even while we continue to run away from you, while we continue to so often, unfortunately, look like Samson and do what's right in our own eyes, we thank you for your pursuit of us your pursuit that even while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We thank you for that incredible good news of this, this morning, and would you help us to truly believe it? And might it continue its work of transforming our souls through the power and work of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Would you please stand and let's sing together.